I want to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives to share their top tips for success with you. Uh, my name is Adam Torres, and you can follow me on Instagram at, at AskAdamTorres. Um, that's where you'll find all my updates for the book releases going on and book release parties, all of that good stuff. Love to connect with you there. Um, really excited to have Paul Mack on the line today. I'll um, tell you a little bit about Paul Mack's background. He's a social impact leader. He's a passionate Detroiter, creative strategist, and serves as the executive director for the Detroit Experience Factory. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me today. Excited to be here. So, Paul, um, I see that, I, I mean, I look at your background, and you definitely are a person that has navigated between many different worlds, and we're going to go through what that means. Um, but before we get into your background and how that navigating took place, um, let's just talk a little bit more about, you know, how you uh, started out in your career. Um, yeah, thanks, Adam. So uh, I went to Michigan State University. Um, I know you're a fellow Spartan, so go green. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I was actually pre-med originally, worked in a cancer research laboratory, thought I might do either med school or biomedical research, and then got started getting into bioethics and more the social science side of things, um, ended up deciding to finish a, a bachelor's degree in both human biology and then a second one in philosophy and bioethics. Um, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with that after uh, finishing Michigan State. Ended up getting a job as a computer programmer for Auto Owners Insurance, which is a Fortune 500 regional insurer um, in Lansing, where Michigan State is. And worked there for a couple of years, uh, learned a lot about finance and tech, um, and then decided that I did want to go back and got my master's in social work at Wayne State in macro practice. Um, so I, I uh, a lot of the work that I did focused on community economic development, organizing, and uh, social justice work, economic justice, um, as well as a lot of work with youth. Um, and then I taught for three years in Detroit through Teach for America um, and did school administration for a year and then ended up at Deloitte Consulting as a human capital consultant and then senior consultant for uh, three years total. And that's what kind of, that's what kind of struck me about your background. So. I mean, the idea that, you know, you've navigated between some different worlds. So when you talk about, like, going from, like, a Deloitte to even, um, like, all those other backgrounds, I mean, how do you how do you explain that to somebody? Is like somebody that's out there maybe has a similar um, story or thought process or just figuring out their way, getting out of college, and, um, you know, how, how do you explain that? Like, what, what are your ideas on going between these different worlds? Uh, yeah, I think I, I laugh about it when uh... – my, when I told my dad that I was uh, quitting auto owner's insurance to go back to grad school for social work, uh, he nearly lost his mind and was ready to kill me. I was quitting his dream job, you know. Um, was just absolutely horrified at the idea. And I think still has sort of been very puzzled by the pathway of my career. Proud of me now in so many ways and has come to understand it. But I think that's one of the things I'd point out is that I think the world is changing so much. Um, I, it was actually something I first learned as thinking about pre-med. You think about 20 years ago, we didn't have the, barely had the internet, much less these magic pocket, pocket computers that we use now. Um, and so you think about what it looks like to be a doctor is so different where things about diagnosis or medications, um, different uh, parts of the body and anatomy and physiology and exact amounts of what's happening in the chemistry. And those are things you have to memorize. 
And now it's like there's an app for that. You just have an app on your phone that does all these different things for you, and doctors use these on a regular basis, and a lot of medical training has realized they have to switch from focusing on deep expertise and technical knowledge to the ability to use all these tools and think critically and move quickly between um, resource guides and resource libraries and diagnostic tools, et cetera. That is true across a lot of the economy, that um, really because information technology has changed so much, companies really need folks that have a broad set of knowledge and can move quickly between it and then often know how to use different technology and tools um, to access the data that they may not have deep expertise in but know how to use once they get it from where it's available. It's just such a big change that the cost of information and the availability of information is so much different than it was 20 years ago. So I actually think that resumes like mine are becoming increasingly important and powerful and desirable in the economy because those are people that can be agile and adapt quickly with the pace of uh, how our economy and how business is moving today. No, that's great. And I, I think you are right in terms of seeing um, uh, more people that are willing to try and do different things and applicable skill sets when it comes to just just um, accessing the knowledge and having the – I did an uh, interview, maybe it was last week, where the guy, he, had, he was multiple, like, different industries, completely unrelated, but he relayed the experience as um, – as you know, the first couple of years out of college and going into his career, he was essentially just gathering skills. And now, you know, five years into his career, the companies he works for now, he is applying those skills he learned in different mediums and different um, different sectors. But it's all it's, it's so much more translatable just based on um, applying different technologies. Uh, so no, I love it. All, all relevant. Um, and I think that's pretty common. Of- yeah. where we're seeing Let's that the first to... decade of your career is often technical skill development. I'd also share just really quickly that I think on the flip side of that is the risk of folks that don't have that. I see it all the time. There's two quick examples, I, I, examples I'd give in my social science word, world and social work colleagues, often very little background in business. And as they build up their towards administration and leadership, they don't know how to lead the business side of a mental health clinic. Um, or a, prog- a community health program or something like that. But on the flip mm-hmm. side, working at Deloitte Consulting, a lot of these folks have MBAs, and I can't tell you how often those of us with social science and org psych backgrounds would be like, that's just not how humans behave, though. That makes sense in a spreadsheet, but that's not real human behavior. And so it becomes yeah. extremely important to have those skill sets because if you don't, people make really bad decisions in leadership ultimately. I like it. Let's talk about um, the Detroit Experience Factory. Um, first off, you know, its history, how it came about, what, what, what projects you're working on. Let's get the full experience. Yeah, so um, I, I'll kind of try to mesh together quickly my story and the story of Detroit Experience Factory because we've kind of come together and I've been in this role for four months now. Um, so Detroit Experience Factory started 13 years ago, um, so shortly before I came to Detroit. Um, they started in 2006. I came in 2009. Um, and back in 2006, the nicest things that you would often see around Detroit were things like, uh, sorry, we, sorry, we missed you, with like bullet holes in the t-shirt, um, or Detroit, where the weak are killed and eaten. Um, and that's some of the nicest stuff people were saying about Detroit. And the idea of giving tours or experiences or getting people out and about in Detroit was like, well, do you give people bulletproof vests while they're on the tour? Um, it was the <laughs> thing. 
That's terrible. Yeah, right? It's like, it's terrible, but it was also sadly too often true back then. Um, and Jeanette Pierce, the founder of Detroit Experience Factory, who is just an amazing human and, and a powerhouse of a leader, um, really just knew that was wrong. She uh, was living and working downtown, walking around. Um, had grown up in the city and, and was like, this is crazy that people are talking this way about Detroit because we have so many assets and so many great things that are a part of our history and our culture um, and also that are happening even then in the early 2000s. Great nightlife, great uh, entertainment and arts and culture scene. Um, and so she's really been a passionate advocate for all the assets and the wonderful, cool things that there are in Detroit um, for over 13 years now. Um, and Detroit Experience Factory grew out of that. So the tour started just like, hey, let's get people out and show them the cool stuff in Detroit. Um, and that succeeded. People, we've taken uh, over 115,000 people on tours and other activities in the city, um, introducing them to new and old things. We hear over and over from folks, some who've lived their entire lives in Detroit, some who've never been here before, and this is their first time being in the city, um, about how much they're amazed by the things that they didn't know about Detroit um, and love getting introduced to all that there is going on and the really cool and complex intricacies of the city's story. Um, so that's Detroit Experience Factory and kind of the journey we've been on 13 years. I think as we get into this a little more, we can talk about how it's changing because Detroit has changed so much in the last 10 or 15 years and especially Let's talk about that. Let's years. talk about that. I haven't, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not up to date. I mean, I'm from Detroit, but I'm, I haven't been back in a while. So tell me. <laughs> Sure. So um, I think when we started at Detroit Experience Factory 13 years ago, you kind of got the sense there. And downtown certainly was much more of a dead place, um, especially to an outsider's eye. If you didn't know where all these places were, that there were lots of people hanging out and things going on, it seemed much different and much deader than you would expect a, a large city downtown to be. That's what I always tell people is when I came in 2009, uh, the Spartans were playing uh, UNC. Um, University of North Carolina in a Final Four game at Ford Field. Um, and so it was like 4.30 p.m. I think it was a Friday. Um, so the whole work crowd had left because it was Friday. So they were out by four on a Friday getting out of there, headed out of town. Um, but it was a local game. Michigan State is only a little over an hour away from downtown Detroit. Um, and uh, no one was downtown. And I didn't really know Detroit well at all at that point. I'd been here like once or twice for things. Um, but very much the culture then was drive in, drive out. And so I didn't know that. The, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I went to go house shopping um, for her because she was moving to Detroit. And then we're like, well, let's go downtown. No party like a Sparty party. And we get downtown and there's nobody out. Like we're expecting like tailgating. We know how Spartans like to have a good time when there's a game going on. You know, too, I'm yes, sure if they were in L.A., right? You would be like, yep, I'm going down because I know that Sparty's going to have a good time. I was, so I was there that. for the Rose Bowl. Are you kidding me? I was there yeah. when we won it. I was there. Go ahead. So, yeah, we're expecting that. Like we know, And because it was actually local and most of the Metro Detroiters that know Detroit were planning on driving in for the game, driving back out. They would eat beforehand at home or out in their area, and they would go back out and go out for afterwards at bars and restaurants and their local venues. Downtown was not the place where you would hang out for a couple hours before the game, hang out the whole night after, et cetera. So it's just dead. Um, now, um, if I'm like working downtown and have a meeting on a Tuesday afternoon, I'm supposed to be meeting a friend and we're going somewhere, they won't even come downtown to pick me up. They're like, no, that's okay. I'll, pay, I'll meet you at your house. You're going to have to take an Uber home because it's just on a Tuesday evening. It'll be crazy. So just the amount of vitality of what's happening around downtown has changed so much. There's all kinds of events and festivals, big and small things happening. Um, 
all over the place and the area has been expanding. At the same time, there's certainly still a lot of work and a lot of conversations we're having in the city around equity and how much of that is just downtown versus what's happening for um, the neighborhoods, as well as a lot of conversations around who is all of this revitalization for? Are we really making sure that longtime Detroit residents, the people that have stayed, are able to benefit from all of that's happening and the new investments as much as new folks that are just coming in are benefiting? And that's a lot of where Detroit Experience Factory's mission sits. Um, we are certainly, the core of what we do is tours and experiences and getting people out and about around the city and introducing them to things they may or never have heard of or that they know well but have not really What is What are some of those on. things? I'm just curious because, again, I'm from there, but I've, I've never gone on a sure. tour of Detroit. I mean, I, I've been at, I've been out in Beverly Hills for, I don't know, like six, seven years or something like yeah. that, and I can't claim I've done a tour here, so I probably don't know what's around the corner from me here. But like, what what's on the tour? Like, give me some things, please. So we do everything from uh, Detroit is fascinating because unlike say Chicago or Toronto, where they've torn down most of their Art Deco buildings, think like the more mm -hmm. ornate, uh, really rich, gilded and stonework um, kinds of architecture buildings. I mean, those are often more like five to thirty stories tall. A lot of those got torn down. Toronto's torn almost all of them down. It's really stunning when you go to Toronto. And Chicago, a lot of them are gone, too. Um, Detroit has not lost all that architecture. The advantage of the, the struggles we've had has been, well, we just kind of left those buildings there for a long time. And now those have an ex just a really, a really rich value because you can't build it like that anymore. I'm actually taking this interview from my home that I bought in 2011. I live in a historic district, a Virginia Park Historic District. Uh, on the north end of uh, New Center, Midtown is a district that gets a lot of attention in Detroit. I'm just outside the cultural area where all the museums are. It's a beautiful historic home. It would cost well over half a million to build today with all the hardwood and, and the details that are in it. It needed a ton of work, and I was able to buy it and fix it up. And we're seeing everything from homes like that that people are buying for their families. I'm raising a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-year-old in this house up to skyscrapers that are 20, 30 stories tall in downtown um, that people are able to, the, the cost of the affordability of what is here and the inability to recreate that anywhere else is really amazing. So we do a lot of tours of our architecture downtown um, and really showing off how exquisite um, we may not have these giant tall glass buildings like they have in Chicago and Toronto, but we have an amazing collection of really beautiful uh, Art Deco and turn-of-the-century um, skyscrapers in downtown um, that would now be kind of like high-end of mid-rise, but still are really mm -hmm. significant buildings. Um, and, and so what's, from what's next for Detroit in your world. What's next for Detroit in your mind? Like, what's going on, like, with the city? What's going on with building? Like, just what, what's next? Do you see this, this yeah. increase? Um, and just overall great things happening, continuing? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts? I think we have a, a big jump to make. I think a lot of the engine of uh, what's happened in the last 10 to 15 years has been a really vital and strong ecosystem of small businesses and local economies um, and folks that are just making investments at a very small scale but a very – lively, active, and large ecosystem of those kinds of people, um, and then some very powerful investments from larger companies, larger philanthropies, and foundations. Um, that combo has been very powerful. You know, you've probably heard the phrase scarcity breeds innovation. Um, our necessity is the, uh, the mother of genius, things like that. 
in Detroit, we've had a lot of scarcity and a lot of necessity to figure it out on our own. And so you just have these amazing people, these amazing communities of makers and small business owners, uh, food culture and art culture, um, as well as some really big institutions. The Detroit Institute of Arts is one of the largest art collections in the world. The building itself is a piece of artwork and the New York Times called uh, the Diego Rivera mural there, the closest thing that the United States has to the Sistine Chapel. Um, just really powerful things, assets. And I think we need to figure out in our next phase, so we've had this kind of amazing bubbling up and growth of both better leveraging our large assets, the larger corporations that we have and businesses and foundations, as well as really incubating our small business and local economy and maker economy ecosystems. And I think a lot of those companies are now moving to be mid-sized organizations. So they're making, and in some ways, this is what the Detroit Experience Factory is doing as well. We've been in startup mode and very entrepreneurial, go-getter, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of organization for 13 years. But the world around us in Detroit is growing and changing very quickly and really we're hitting that kind of key inflection point um, where you have to wonder how do we put in place the structures um, that let us take that leap. And I think we have a really, I think one of the opportunities in that um, is to do that in a different sort of way to, I think because of, we talked earlier about technology and the digital world and connectivity and mobility. Um, I think we've always sort of thought that the only way to do that is through these corporate structures, think baby boomer mindset. And those are really powerful. They built up the United States from 1950 to 2000. Um, but I think Detroit really could be and, and will be ground zero for what it looks like to take that jump in the modern world. We have the ability to be connected in different ways digitally that allow for flatter ecosystems while still scaling up. So I think that's really one of the next big challenges that I see is how does Detroit find ways to use what we have in social media and social business technology um, everything from as simple as Google Suite and Google Docs to um, apps that are specifically designed to connect businesses together and help them collaborate on uh, everything from financials to specific projects. Um, we can be a, a model that the rest of the world looks to for how you do that kind of business ecosystem differently. Um, so we kind of get to start from scratch on it. We're hitting that inflection point and have nothing to prove and everything to prove at this point. Oh, I love it. What, and I, I think one there, nothing to prove and everything to prove. That's that's a great uh, a great ending. And, uh, Paul, hey, I just want to really uh, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate it. And I will be definitely checking out um, the Detroit Experience Factory the next time that I am in town. I didn't, I didn't know it existed. Now I know it's on my radar. It's on my list of things. I can't wait to be a, a tourist again in my own hometown. So thank you again for that. Um, yeah, thanks, Adam. We also do both uh, public and private outings, and a lot of our folks are clients that bring groups from out of town. So folks that are listening or yourself, if you're in Detroit, feel free to reach out to us, and we can usually set up a, a customer. Oh, what, what, what's your website? What's your website? I'm sorry about uh, that. I didn't even ask you your website. No, Got to leave that. DetroitExperienceFactory.org. It's that simple. DetroitExperienceFactory.org, um, and you can actually fill out a form right on the website, and someone will call or email you back and figure out how we can help you out to help you have a great time in Detroit. All right. Well, thank you again, Paul. Um, to the listeners, if you're in Detroit or heading that way, obviously check out Detroit Experience Factory. Um, appreciate all your time today. 
Uh, don't forget, if you want to apply to uh, contribute to one of my upcoming books, just go to moneymatterstoptips.com and click on the link that says Become an Author. All right. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.